Good morning, everybody. How's your bracket? Am I doing okay? All right. Sounds like we don't really care too much. It's probably a good thing. I uh, would love to talk to Karaoke about a hair transplant before he gets out of town. That would be uh, a great head of hair. Amazing. Really good. Obviously, some of you were not paying attention at that time. That's okay. (laughs) I want to thank you all so much for affirming um, and very kind words over the last few weeks as we have examined not only the Word of God, but also our heads and our hearts as we think about becoming the church that God is causing us and calling us to be. The conversations over the past few weeks in some ways haven't been easy, but I've seen the true colors of this church as we have processed openly some of the issues before us. And I applaud you for responding with encouragement and with enthusiasm Uh, particularly as we talk about coming alongside people in our community and sharing with them the good news of Jesus. I'm going to turn our attention this morning to Matthew chapter 7, particularly verses 1 through 6. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn there, if you will, please. Jesus has just finished shifting our trust focus from earthly treasure to heavenly treasure, inviting us to engage in a seek first the kingdom of God mindset as disciples. When we summarize the teaching of chapter 6 last Sunday morning like this, where your treasure is, well, that's where your heart will be also, verse 21. The stuff of the world is not your chief concern, verse 32. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's the greatest treasure there is. And all material things that are necessary for life will be put into their proper perspective. As we think back on Matthew chapter 6, I was doing some additional reading this week, and I came across this insight by a Matthew scholar, Leon Morris, and he makes the following observation. He says, God's care and provision are assured, but that doesn't mean that the disciple's life is to be one long picnic. Each day will still have its troubles. The preceding verses, he's talking about these verses in chapter 6, simply provide the assurance that by the grace of God, they can be survived. Now, I would only change one thing in Morris's observation. I would say that not only can these days by the grace of God be survived, I think they can be days in which we can thrive. Not because of who we are or what we do, but because of who God is and because of what He has done and continues to do through Jesus. While much of the trouble that we experience in our lifetime results from outside influence, so the values of those who live in darkness, Jesus knows that it is easy for trouble to also result from internal negative attitudes and behaviors those brother against brother moments that hurt our witness 
one of the most toxic attitudes that we can have is to have a critical spirit. And that's something that we in churches of Christ have struggled with. We, we have, if we will be honest with ourselves, we struggle with a critical spirit. In some ways, going all the way back to our inception. And the result has been that we have often lost sight of our primary purpose and instead we've to, uh, we, we focus too much on positions and not enough on people. I mentioned three of these characteristics two weeks ago as I reflected on what we have often treasured uh, at the expense of living within a healthier tension. And this may look familiar to you if you were here a couple of weeks back. We've often treasured that when we disagree, we will divide. I don't think that's what God wants. It's certainly not what Jesus prayed for. We've often valued uniformity over unity. And we've said if we don't do this a certain way or that a certain way, then we cannot be together. Much similar refrain as the first. When we disagree, we divide. And we've often treasured preference over purpose. And these things aren't intrinsically right or wrong. It's just that we haven't really held them in good tension If you can imagine this being perhaps one side of the extreme, and maybe this is the preference extreme, and we go all the way over here, and this is the the purpose extreme, sometimes we seem to gravitate either to one pole or to the other, and, and God calls us to live into a healthy tension between these things. We could add a lot more to this list, some of the the uh things that we have often treasured, I'll just point out a handful today, we, we sometimes have treasured tradition over truth. And tradition is not intrinsically good or bad, it just is what it is. But if we treasure tradition so much that we can't see truth, then we're treasuring tradition too much. Are you with me so far? We often have treasured fellowship over fellowship, and yes, fellowship is a made-up word. We're good at fellowship. It's one of the things that Churches of Christ does really, really well. We get God, we get Jesus, we get casseroles. We know it, right? We know how to have good fellowship with each other. We know how to come together. We know how to love one another and support one another. We do that really well. But sometimes if we're not careful, we get so close in fellowship that it becomes very difficult for us to open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our arms to other people who need Jesus. And so, yes, we need to be about good, sweet fellowship, but we've got to be, as a church, also about bringing others into a discipling relationship, a discipleship relationship with Jesus, who is the Christ. And this last one, we sometimes have treasured hermeneutic over holiness. Now, hermeneutic is a big word. It basically just means the the art of interpreting and understanding Scripture. And we have a hermeneutic in churches of Christ, a particular way that we approach Scripture. I'm not going to say a lot about that today. We don't really have time to go deep into this. But it is one of the things that we have treasured. And sometimes we have treasured so much making our particular understanding of a truth stick that we have often been willing to compromise holiness. Because if our hermeneutic doesn't bear the fruit of the Spirit, then i got to tell you, it's not really all that great of a hermeneutic. These traps are not new. 
And they're also not exclusive to churches of Christ. We are learning. We are growing. The Holy Spirit is moving. It is true that many fellowships, including ours, are experiencing some numeric decline, but the power of the gospel hasn't declined any. It's just as powerful as it's always been. The the power of the gospel hasn't declined in the slightest. The power of the gospel is fueled by the living power of God's Holy Spirit. The power of the gospel is unleashed in our lives through lived out faith. The power of the gospel is grounded in the words of Jesus. And it is to some of these words, words that caution against attitudes and behaviors that Satan uses to shift our focus, it is to some of these words that we now turn our attention. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. And the Greek word for judge is a word krino, and it's, it's not in and of itself necessarily a negative word. Often it's used in a very, very general way of forming judgments or reaching conclusions about things or about people. And in this case, Jesus warns against pronouncing guilt on others and and determining their fate. He says, don't do that. If we wanted to look at how he might be saying this or what he basically means, we could say, do not set yourself up over others. Criticize their failings and make pronouncements on their guilt before God. And we have a tendency when we read Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, we have a tendency to stop there. We have a tendency to use Matthew 7, 1 to justify our sins on the one hand, as in who are you to judge, or to neglect the sins of somebody else on the other, as in who am I to judge. But we can't stop there. Because Jesus doesn't stop there. And if we're going to understand what he means by Matthew 7, 1, we've got to read the rest of this section so that we can fully get our head around that he's really not even talking so much about judgment as he's talking about hypocrisy. Let's look a little deeper. Matthew 7, 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. When followers of Jesus develop a a critical, condemning attitude as the lens through which we view others, we push love out of our relationships. The kind of love that Jesus offers, it, it fills us, it allows us to give the goodness of God to others, not condemnation. See, I think Jesus is, is echoing his own earlier teaching here. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown what? Mercy. True followers of Jesus who have not just received God's mercy, but have been overcome by it, will show mercy to one another. We will not show judgment. If anybody understands forgiveness, it should be us. Amen? And what we have been given, we freely give. Now here's the deal. 
If we choose otherwise, if we choose to ignore what Jesus teaches right here, there is this reciprocal principle that is in play. Be careful when you set yourself up as fault finder because it potentially will come right back at you. The message uses very helpful imagery, I think, for us to understand what Jesus is saying. Don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures. Don't criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. In Matthew 6, we see Jesus warning those who are more concerned about outward appearance of righteousness than about actually being righteous. And he now lets his disciples know that they must fully align their heads and hearts with his. Otherwise, they may fall into the same hypocritical trap. And to set this up, Jesus uses, actually, it's, it's kind of a comical illustration he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. And I think we could put in parentheses here, if you do these things. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, Jesus would have been very familiar with this real-life imagery. This is a lesson straight out of the carpenter's workshop. But it's so over the top, you can almost hear Jesus kind of chuckle as he is teaching this particular lesson. Here's the thing. It's not inappropriate to be a truth-teller to try and help someone when they have misstepped, but it is inappropriate to draw attention to somebody else's failure when we, in humility, have not dealt with our own. When Matthew records Jesus' use of the term hypocrite in his gospel account, this is the only place where Jesus uses the term to describe a disciple rather than to describe Pharisees or others who were listening in. Jesus says to his followers, be very careful about applying standards to others that you are not living yourself. The price is very high. I'm reminded of one of my favorite songs. Some of you may be Casting Crowns fans. They released a song several years ago called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And in that song, there are these very powerful lyrics that go something like this. Jesus, friend of sinners, we have strayed so far away. We cut down people in your name, but the sword was never ours to swing. Jesus, friend of sinners, the truth's become so hard to see. The world is on their way to you, but they're tripping over me. And they continue that song, always looking around but never looking up. I'm so double-minded, a plank-eyed saint with dirty hands and a heart divided. And I love the last line in the song. Jesus, friend of sinners, break our heart for what breaks yours. There's perhaps never been a time in our, in our culture's history of how important it is that we understand these words and put them into practice. 
it's become so easy for us to look out at culture and to see everything that is wrong with everybody else at the expense of examining our own motives and our own attitudes and our own behaviors. And church, we must, with great humility, take our Lord's words to heart if we are to be a unified church that reaches our culture with the good news of Jesus. I've invited someone to help us understand that today. God blessed us with Timothy and Bambi Warden being able to come our way for a few weeks. And one of the reasons that I'm excited to have the conversation that we are about to have is because Tim Warden is um, a student of culture. They've been in Singapore for many years now. He'll talk a little bit about that. This is Dan and Meriden Warden's son, in whom they are well pleased because he's a great, great guy. Uh, so would you help me welcome him to the stage, please? Timothy Warden. Philippines. Do what? Uh, what did I say? Singapore. I said Singapore. I said the wrong place. You're in the Philippines. Yeah, thank you. I, I will turn that on, actually. Thank you. I'll turn that on, and then I'll get your country right. Okay. Okay, very good. Go. Very good. So I do have a few questions uh, for uh, Tim this morning that we're going to process uh, together. And first of all, as a missionary, you had to learn the culture of the Philippines. Sure, sure. So what was that journey like for you? Well, the biggest thing, I think, in adjusting to another culture is language. Mm. And so when I first went to the Philippines... I was the only white person, the only Caucasian in that whole area. And although the Filipino people are very friendly and hospitable, you cannot really earn trust or the right to speak into someone's life unless you learn the language. So I had to really learn the language and be able to become all things to all people right. in order to be able to influence and have some... Uh, right to to connect with the people there right right how so long did it take what, how long did it take you to learn the language well this is a journey of probably about four or five years before i started to be able to fluently wow. converse converse with people yeah you know. yeah awesome you ever find yourself in the united states thinking oh all the time <laughs> even as i'm speaking right now i'm trying to make sure i don't break into another language <laughs> That would be okay but, yeah. if you did. That's all right. That's, that's, Pardon that's, my that's, grammar if I get it back. Yeah, no worries. No worries at all. So I know that you guys also worked on not just learning uh, the culture of, of, of the Philippines, but you also had to create a church culture uh, that, that could minister effectively within a culture. Mm -hmm, so what does that mm -hmm. look like? Right. You do create a culture because every body of people, small or large, is going to have a culture. It's either going to be by default or it's going to be by design. Mm. And so we're very, very much intentional to create and to foster, to develop a culture within the church that is counterculture, mm. a culture within the church that is upside down in its living, like we'd say here. Mm -hmm. And so uh, several of the things that we've created as a culture is a, a church culture that everyone is a part of a small group 
it's not just a side dish. It is where the action is in our church. So that is where most of the salvations happen. People come to faith in the context of small group. Uh, that's how we're organized, so small group leaders. So we work a lot with raising up and developing training uh, small group leaders and releasing them. So that's uh, one of the really, it's a, we call it a family of families, you know, mm. so uh, very relational. Then we also have our uh, assemblies, our, our Sunday services, which are, we create a space for grace. So uh, we, we say it's a safe, positive, and encouraging atmosphere. And so we, we really create an atmosphere intentionally that the presence of God is uh, experienced and people, no matter where they've come from, can, can, can feel safe. You know, when we planted the church, it was with 100% first-generation Christians. Mm. So you can't just do church like, like everybody does. It has mm -hmm. to be a place where you recognize that people are on different uh, places. They're on different levels of the journey towards faith. And you have to be able to, just like in a family, you know, small children to college age, you have to be able to, uh, you know, minister to people on the level that they're at. And so mm -hmm. we're not so impressed about what level you're on. It's just that the important thing is everybody's on the same direction. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And uh, another thing that we do in the, uh, the culture, our church culture is a, a culture of uh, bringing visitors, bringing, we call them VIP, bring people into any place, whether it's the small group or whether it's the, like the large group, but people bringing people to the place where for sure they're going to meet Jesus. Yeah. And whether they accept him or not is a personal choice, but they're going to be introduced to Jesus. And uh, we understand and we cast the vision and the culture that as a Disciple of Jesus, you're an ambassador. Mm. You don't have to look at the world like with envy that they have something in the world, you know, my neighbor's the boss or whatever, that they have something that I want and need. Now we flip the script and it's you go into the world and you are carrying something that they need. Yes. You're a carrier of a great treasure and that's Jesus. So people go. Whereas before, in the Philippines, a very, very poor country, we've created a church culture where they don't let that uh, inflict a low self-esteem on them. Mm. But they can walk with, regardless of socioeconomic standing, they can walk with confidence into the community, recognizing that I'm not lacking. I'm overflowing. Mm -hmm. I don't need something you have. I've got something that I'd love to give you. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, of course, training. We have a culture of training no matter what level people are on in their walk with God, from the very, very mature to the just uh, yesterday coming to Jesus. Everybody is going to the next level through training, mentoring, uh, of course, uh, studying the Word of God and, and praying. So mm. that's some of the, the, the cultures that we have. But all of these things in our churches really boils down to this win souls and make disciples. So that's very, uh, very well known throughout the church culture. Everybody knows that it, everything that we do is connected directly or indirectly to winning souls and making disciples. So we, we call it win, consolidate, disciple, and send. Mm. Bring people to Jesus, consolidate those people into the church family, ground them in the, then get into a track, a very clear, very um, easy to follow pathway, as you say, or a track of growth, spiritual growth, and then to send them out or release them back into their world 
as an influencer. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. that. And you, you, you and I were talking earlier this week, you know, you don't, you don't think in terms of compartmentalizing faith. So someone mm-hmm. doesn't go to school to become an electrician so much as they do what? Why are they in school? It's school because you're an ambassador. You're an ambassador. And in the process of seeking first God's kingdom, you're probably going to need a college degree along the way. Right. So you just, right. but you, I, I always talk to the people going into university. You're not going into that campus to be a student and then you do some Christian work. You're going into that campus as a Christian ambassador and then you're going to do some schoolwork. Yeah. Yeah. You don't go to that job because that's your career. And that you, you go to that job because that is your calling, and you don't want to confuse calling and career, because right. career could change. Mm. But the calling is a more—it's a more long-term perspective. It's a lifelong. So we we do a lot of talking to people about, uh, you know, who you are uh, in Christ and and the why before the what. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. I love yeah. that. Uh, obviously, Americans America's culture has changed a lot. You guys have probably noticed as you made some trips home that. Things are changing. Um, so yeah. if you had a few recommendations for us as a church to reach our culture, what might some of those recommendations be? Okay, things really have changed. I, I agree with that. <laughs> I've noticed that just being away and coming back, this church, for example, where I, this is where I grew up, and very clearly this church's strength is fellowship. And you know, servanthood, and just being there for one another. There's so much uh, loyalty to each other, so much uh, giving and sacrifice when people are in need. And I would recommend that's a good thing. We capitalize on our strengths. And yet, I would just say, my recommendation would be for the to remind each other to be intentional, to win souls and make disciples. So the main dish of the church is not uh, great fellowship. Great fellowship, rather, to be your strategic tool Mm. to win souls and make disciples. Everybody's ministry ought to be win souls and make disciples. And you may serve in the children's or the food and beverage or the multimedia thing. You may do different things. But and, And we have fellowship and small groups and give cookies and pies and whatever we do. That's all great, but those are not the end goal. Those are the, the strategies. Yeah. I mean, this great fellowship, imagine if uh, an unbeliever would come in and a taste of that fellowship, he's going to say, surely God is here. He's gonna be. Mm. So I would say remind each other to be intentional, that you, you, you're going to win souls and make disciples through intentionality, and also remind each other to be collaborative you know, to collaborate and get everyone on the same page with the church culture. You can't change the culture with just you, with just one person. Everybody's got to kind of buy in and say, hey, we're going to go this direction. And if the elders are, are praying about this and going that way, then it's going to be a lot more effective if everybody's moving in the same direction and, and collaborating to, we always say it's teamwork that makes a dream work, and it's the network that makes the net work. Right. And when Jesus talked about uh, us being fishers of men, I'm sure he wasn't thinking of a rod and reel with a single person out there by himself trying to catch a fish. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he was, the imagery there is that of a net. So we're, you know, connected. I'm linked mm-hmm. with you and, and together we're intending to bring that person to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if we do this as a 
collaborative effort. That person hardly stands a chance against the kingdom of God and being loved into his, his family. Yeah. And so uh, be, remind each other just to be collaborative. I'll share you a quick, quick story. A few weeks ago, we were in, uh, I was out at this uh, event where, public event, where one of the city councilors was giving a speech. And there were several other of our leaders there. And as the city councilor was giving the speech, you could hear that there had been some hurts along the way. She had been in an accident recently, and it just seemed like that there was a bit of soul-searching going on. Well, immediately, we were all just like, yes, this is it. This is the timing. We've got to this person is ready. Mm. You know, the Holy Spirit just saying, this person is ready for the gospel and to be saved. So it, it, we just, you know, the person that knows her was able to invite her. Then somebody else preached the message. Then somebody else shared the gospel after the service. Somebody else does the follow-up. Somebody else does. So I'm just saying everybody has a little part, but we're all after the same thing, yes. to bring this person to faith in Jesus. Mm. And sure enough, she uh, became a Christian and, and now is, of course, in the process of being followed up and mentored and consolidated into the family. And, we'll, and, and I think that's, you know, people prepare sometimes the fishing fanatics prepare all year to go maybe to the Gulf or someplace and they go fishing and, and, and have a buddy and maybe they get outfitted with a boat and all the computer and the gear. But I just think about what if we were fishing for a man? Hmm. I mean, what if we spent the whole year after one person who you God laid on your heart to bring that person to faith? And if we spent the same kind of effort and preparation and planning, I believe that uh, we would see people brought to Jesus and mm -hmm. lives changed, depopulate hell and, and yeah. see God's kingdom culture come on the earth. But that needs to be intentional. It needs to be collaborative. So that, that, that's, but I think this church is doing really well. Just remind each other of these mm -hmm. things. Thank you. Thank you mm -hmm. so much. I appreciate that. And thank you as church. Can we thank Tim for sharing some, some wonderful thoughts with us? I want to just, uh, I just want to pray quickly over, uh, over Tim and over Bambi and their son Zion. And uh, also, by the way, known as Second Timothy, uh, their, their son, his name is Timothy as well. So uh, sometimes call him Second Timothy, which is great. I love that. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessing of the morning. We're so uh, blessed to know the wardens, Lord, and just pray, pray your blessings upon them, Father. Give them a wonderful visit here with their family for the next few weeks. And as they return to the Philippines, Father, soon, I just pray for traveling mercies for them and that their ministry will continue in a powerful way to impact lives for Jesus. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Tim. I really appreciate him modeling for us what it means to be informed by culture while not being influenced by it. If you want to visit with them, they'll be out at the Welcome Center afterward and and you can do that. I think what they're modeling is how to have a, a critical eye. We're always on the lookout. You know, word critical is not a bad word. It just depends on how it's used. If we put a critical eye out to kind of see how our culture is doing and what's going on, it puts us in the, in the place to not have a critical spirit, but to look for those opportunities to serve and to bless. Jesus, he tells us why this is so important. In verse 6, he says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This is the flip side of judging hypocritically. It's a, it's a caution of being people of naive acceptance. 
um, against uh, an anything-goes mindset. The, the dog metaphor here is hard for us to understand. Most of us who have dogs love them. Notice I said most of us who have dogs love them. But that wasn't the case in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, dogs were considered unclean. Pigs certainly were considered unclean. And maybe we can understand that a little better, especially if you've got property and we know how destructive they can be, uh, feral pigs especially. Um, but Jesus isn't talking here, I don't think, so much about literal animals. He's talking about not treating flippantly the holy. Not treating flippantly the sacred and entrusting that which is holy and entrusting that which is sacred to those who couldn't care less about it. If we look outside of Scripture for success metrics, when we are informed more by popular culture than by praise and prayer, when we focus more on positions than we focus on people, we're taking the most valuable treasure on heaven and on earth and we're watering it down to something that is unrecognizable. When this happens, we can so effortlessly flow into the very mindset that Jesus warns against. Francis Chan shows us how this can be expressed behaviorally in a community of faith that doesn't take words, Jesus' words here seriously. He says in letters to the church, Jesus laid down His life for us. That's how much He loved us. But we're not willing to sit down together for one hour a week because the worship style doesn't do it for us. If the question you're asking when you come to worship is, what will this do for me today? You're asking the wrong question. Now, he doesn't just slap us on the wrist and then run the other direction. He follows up with a foothold. An action that is fitting of the type of disciple Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount. He continues, how can I serve someone today? That's a step in the right direction. And I think what's being described here is that that's, that's not looking down our nose at people. That's looking in faith for people with whom we can share and with whom we can be good news. And so my question to you this morning, church, is where do we go from here? I shared some numbers with you last week that are in some ways discouraging, but I am encouraged because I think God has our attention and over the next several weeks, you are going to be invited into a dialogue about this church's future. We're going to unveil a few particulars of that dialogue in this room tonight at 6 p.m. as we visit in small groups and as we share a preview of how our small groups will function moving forward. But I, I don't want you to worry if you're unable to attend that gathering. Your small group leader can fill you in the next time you meet. But tonight's meeting is for everyone in our church, whether you're in a small group or not. The meeting is going to be brief. We're going to not let it go more than 45 minutes. Keep in mind, there is no child care. We're calling this all together now. So please come prepared to have your little ones with you. Our teenagers are going to meet for intersection as normal. Some of our intergenerational groups will keep their regular schedule. But everybody else who can, please plan on being here tonight. The elders also want to hear from you as we brainstorm how to move forward and how to engage those who do not know the Lord. If you're unable to participate in a small group, you can register for an elder face-to-face -face by calling or by emailing the church office. And, and these are not our only mechanisms for hearing your hearts, but they do reflect first steps that our church leadership is committed to. So here's what we do know. We know we want you to spend ample time in God's Word and, and ample time in prayer. 
And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we as a leadership are committing to you to co-discover and identify and subsequently state who we are and what we're about as a church. And a lot of that is going to be influenced by your prayers and by your feedback. We want to identify a clear pathway of discipleship, what it means to get involved and to grow as a disciple here at the AM Church of Christ. We want to identify clear ways that are rooted in the gospel to make a difference in our community and identify ways to get our hands dirty, to get involved in people's lives, to not just talk about it. In John chapter 13 and verse 35, Jesus says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And we believe that what we've just described are some good, healthy ways to love one another. And we're going to be talking a lot more about that over the next many weeks. I love the following quote by Gospel of John scholar Gary M. Burge as he's reflecting on this passage in John 13, 35. Nothing so astonishes a fractured world as a community in which radical, faithful, genuine love is shared among its members. There are many places you can go to find communities of shared interest. There are many places you can go to find people just like yourself who live for sports or music or gardening or politics. But it is the mandate of the church to become a community of love. A circle of Christ's followers who invest in one another because Christ has invested in them. Who exhibit love not based on the mutuality and attractiveness of its members, but on the model of Christ who washed the feet of everyone, including Judas. That's a church I want to be part of. And I hope it's a church that you want to be part of. And together, as we love God, and as we love one another, that is the church that we can be. We're going to sing a song over the next few moments. A couple of our shepherds will be at the back. If you have something confidential you'd like to share with them, I'll be down here at the front. If you have a prayer request, if you're hurting this morning, if you want to be baptized today and begin your life anew in Christ, whatever's on your heart, we want to hear it. I know that there's some people in pain this morning. We heard last night that our dear sister, Danita Slayton, her sister passed away last evening. It's so very sad, and we want to pray for the Slayton family this morning. Please keep them in your prayers, even as we stand and sing this next song together.